Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, we had to use a different audio recording solution for this episode, so things might sound a little bit different from what you're used to. Uh, there is a place where the audio cuts out uh, because our recording solution stopped, and I will let you know when that happens. But otherwise, please enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about Battle Lords of the 23rd Century. Today we're joined by Tony Oliveira, David Saruco, and Kurt Willis. How's it going, guys? Going great. great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so first off, uh, where might folks know you from? Well, uh, I'll start. Um, I've been involved in the game industry, oh, since about Battle Wars started in 1990. I had another game company before that called Pulsar Games. Um, we did an old superhero game called Blood of Heroes, which was basically um, a recycled version of Mayfair Games' DC superheroes. Um, and then I've also done work for prior editions of Battle Lords before uh, it changed hands and uh, uh, into 23rd Century Productions. Uh, very cool. Dave, let's hear from you next. Okay. Um, other than being a very active fan in the past and working with Tony on uh, Blood of Heroes, those would be the main places people might know me from. Um, helped out on things around in both of those spaces. All right. Um, and Kurt? Pretty much the same as, as Dave, although uh, we have uh, assisted with uh, Battle Lords running at uh, several Gen Cons over the years, as well as um, I believe we're all uh, contributors to the uh, Beyond the Rift source book for previous Battle Lords edition, as well as, you know, just uh, running games during the cons. Very cool. So I think a good place to start is what is Battle Lords of the 23rd century for those who have no idea what it is that we're talking about? <laughs> sure. Um, I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, Battle Lords is a military science fiction role-playing game started around 1990 by Larry Sims. Uh, the, the game has changed hands a couple times since then, but uh, at its core, uh, it's still players running around as soldiers, corporate mercenaries, uh, uh, industrial spies, uh, and it's set in the backdrop of this uh, galaxy-spanning war where you've got uh, 14 different alien species who come together uh, to form an alliance to uh, repel uh, the invasions of the uh, the arachnid hordes, and uh, uh, that's uh, that's how I sum it up. David Kurt might have a, have some additional information to add. So this is David. I'll jump in, and in a quick referential way for people who are familiar with movies like uh, Starship Troopers. There's a bit of that in there. There's a bit of um, Fifth Element in there. So think action oriented 
military movie and you've probably got something very comparable add in science fiction and there you go and from my standpoint this is kurt um it touches on a lot of the a lot of books written just general sci-fi military books a lot of them have very similar flavors and what's nice about it is you can basically put any one of those flavors into your game very cool um so you all mentioned uh, in your introductions, previous versions of Battle Lords. So, what's the history of Battle Lords, Dave? Uh, so we can go back to I think it's somewhere around 1990. Larry Sims, who was uh, Army Infantry, I believe, um, created this game, and he uh, started up in the uh, Northeast, in the Buffalo, New York area, and um, they progressed through several different versions and started adding in uh, additional source material, supplements, that kind of a thing through the years. We, uh, he eventually sold it to uh, from his company, Optimus Design System, to SSDC. His, his art director ran that one. And we, we've been helping out pretty long, probably since that time, um, with various products and things, um, and lots and lots of feedback. Uh, and then uh, they hit a point where they... Uh, wanted to look at alternatives and we were there to get engaged on it so we got together and we've picked it up and we're running with it very cool um so uh, i guess the the main question is we um you know our our show mostly focuses on dms so what's something that uh, a dm or gm or, or whatever the term you happen to use in the game should know before going into a game of battle lords kurt you got any <laughs> um well there's there's really so much in this. The system is very crunchy, so there's a lot of things to keep track of, a lot of knowledge base to have. So uh, really for a DM, GM going into the game, um, you need to have a good handle on the mechanics. Uh, know what's relevant, know uh, when to apply the modifiers, that kind of stuff, because it's a skill-based system. And, you know, they have to roll beneath their skill to succeed at what they're doing. So you're going to have to the characters pretty well that you're uh, that they're running and be able to throw something that's while not overwhelming um, but is going to give them the challenge because battle lords is extremely lethal uh, your character <laughs> you know can get a get a lung shot out and no no time flat so you got to be prepared to handle that and you know as a dm do you need to alter alter the game you know what's going on um, add in things so you got to Kind of be able to fine tune it and keep control of that because it it can go sideways real quick. So something that I'm curious about is that one of the stated goals for this newest edition on Kickstarter was simplifying and standardizing the rules. Uh, And you mentioned that it's a very crunchy game. So how complex was it before compared to how it is now? Um, this is all Tony. Uh, the um, uh, it was it was more complex, um, certainly. Um, when we uh, you're absolutely right that our our primary goals were simplifying and clarifying the game system, but we did not want to change what made Battle Lords Battle Lords. And part of that is that uh, you know ability to mix and match armor op and armor options and armor and and uh, different ways different weapons affect armor uh and it is it is a crunchy system at its core but uh it did get streamlined Uh, um we basically went through and anything that 
caused the game to drag during combat got simplified. And a lot of examples of that were uh, fully automatic fire where you had to roll for every single hit and then you had to roll for every single location for every hit. And then you had to roll for damage for all of those. Uh, and you really <laughs> dragged the game down. Another one was grenades because it's, it, again, it's, it's somewhat realistic. And when you throw out a frag fragments and you did the same thing for those as you did for auto fire. So um, we worked really hard to streamline those parts of the game where it, it would tend to drag uh, during gameplay uh, yeah, it's it, it's a crunchy system, but we don't want it to be slow. We want it to be fast and exciting and fun. And uh, um, you know, the the system is designed so you can play with it, so you can tweak it. You know, and if it's if it's running slow, then that's counter to to how we we designed it. Uh, Dave had a mantra every, throughout the entire di design process, and every time it was usually me, I'd come up with some wacky idea. Um, Dave would go does it add complexity when we were trying to solve the problem? And if it, if our solution added complexity, we, we kicked it out the door and went back to the drawing board. And that sort of became our, our mantra during the design process. Okay. So I'll add on to that real quick. I think everything that we've done that's really a, a, a good change from the prior editions, we've added in free quick start rules. And those quick start rules really do strip things down pretty lightly. And when we run conventions, that's actually what we run from so that people can get a, you know, get the flavor and then they can choose how much deeper they want to go. We also have rules that we call out, Hey, this is extra crunchy. If you want to add this, you can add this realism and this fun crunch in this way, or you can choose not to. And sometimes we call out uh, a lighter version so that people can kind of go, you know, I don't really want to deal with that. I want to simplify things. So for a, a game master starting in this space um, and doesn't know it very well, we'd start to suggest start with the quick start rules and kind of figure out what helps from a gameplay perspective, have fun with it, and then add in the pieces as it starts to make more sense. So something that I'm curious about with the like this whole complexity thing is um, you sent over the, the the core rules so that we could take a look at it and get a feel for it. And something that I saw is the thing the thing that jumped out immediately in my mind is in the uh, table of contents, the list of skills is it's long. There's a lot of them. And I'm curious, like a, was that um is that big list of skills something that's always been in the game? and and b, like how does how do some of these skills play out in game? Because just looking at it right now, there's stuff like cooking and etiquette. And I'm just curious how those work in the game when you're running. Uh, running a session. Dave, you want to take that one? Sure. Um, so, um, Tony, keep me honest here, but I believe that we actually skinny down the skill a bit. <laughs> there, there were over 215 when we started from 6th oh, edition. Wow. <laughs> okay. We got, it's smaller. It, 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 it's a lot now, but it's smaller. Um, so we did try to do some things to where it made sense kind of group things up and also kind of give people game masters the ability to or, or players the ability to talk with their game masters about you know breaking things out so you know building blocks so if people want to do art you know you can have a generic more of a generic art skill or you can say no i want i'm sculpting i'm painting I'm visual art i'm using lights and projection and holograms lots of ability to do that so that's what we talked about where we wanted to give people the ability to tweak it to fit their concepts. Um, and then from a gameplay perspective, 
it actually works out pretty well. Um, the main thing, to Kurt's point earlier, is the game master really needs to be able to, on the fly, assign something that's a modifier that seems reasonable. Doesn't ha and this is this is this is the problem that I run into. I, I like to have a really well thought out rationale for why it is. You don't really actually have to have that because we we talk about, and I think this is Tony's rule. Um, start with realism, back it down to fun. So it, it, it doesn't have to be the perfect modifier. It has to be good enough. Just assign a number. If everybody goes, yeah, that sounds about right. Or the player says, you know, I would think since I've got 10 levels of this, I'd be better at, okay, you know what? Contact. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll make it easier for you or whatever. So um, from a gameplay perspective, the nice thing is the math is very simple. That was another thing that we, we got into. One of our other mantras is math is hard. So we wanted to make it easy. So it's all that's why we've oriented things towards lower, right? We have your number on your character sheet. It includes your base modifiers and kind of where you start from. And you got to roll under that. And then we'll add modifiers or subtract modifiers from your target. And that's what you're going to do. So if you are really good as a hacker, you've got an Orion character maybe who, who's just grown up hacking and he's now hired as a spy. And he's trying to hack into this military base so that he can open the doors before the spaceship smashes into the door. You might say, well, okay, uh, it's a military base, so it's not going to be easy. So I'm going to give you a, a minus 60. It starts off with a base 120, let's say. I'll take a minus 60 for that. Ooh, and you're in a hurry because if you don't get this done, you don't have all the time in the world. So maybe I'll give you another minus 20. So it's a total of a minus 80. You went from a character having 120 or less, pretty easy, to... It's now down to 40. I can get this. I can get this. So from a gameplay perspective, it's actually fairly easy in the in the non-combat space to make some decisions, throw some numbers out there that seem reasonable, and then move on and get back into the story. From the... Um, um... I'll add in in terms of the the, the variety of skills, um, though it may seem um, a bit odd at, at initial scan. Like I always, the one I always hear about is you know you have snow skiing. Yeah, it's in there. Um, part of that is uh, due to the setting um, and, and the cooking skill. A lot of times you're uh, uh, you know either a corporate uh, mercenary or a soldier, and you are out in the boonies. And, you know, you may have to snow ski, you may have to cook meals for the rest of the troops. Um, or if you're an industrial espionage or a spy, you may have to know what's the proper etiquette for dealing with this ram python so he doesn't rip my head off. Um, you know, I've got to sneak past this guard or I've got to uh, smooze past this, this diplomat. So some of those skills that on initial glance may seem a little odd in there, but they really come from the, the, the setting of the game. Uh, the other part they come in is Battle Lords during character generation has uh, tables that you can roll on to develop your character to find out, you know, we, we call them the I was just growing up tables to flesh out those backgrounds. And a lot of times you get skills that you wouldn't normally purchase if you're going to be a mercenary or thinking, you know, why do I need to know etiquette or why do I need to know, you know, uh, snow skiing but those may be as a result of your character's past upbringing and there are other games that sort of have tables like those uh, traveler all of the uh our uh, telsorian games i think um cyberpunk and mechton have similar tables hey folks sean here one more time uh the audio solution that we're using cut out here and uh he just listed a few more systems and tables that uh can be used to generate a character uh, then we noticed that the audio had cut out and we simply moved on to the next question. So 
Uh, you'll hear Jesse next, continuing with the questions, and that should be the end of the audio issues for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for your understanding. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Uh, you, As Sean mentioned, you guys were kind enough to send us a copy of the core book so we could look through it. Um, and I I found some really kind of interesting and cool things that I haven't seen in, like, say, D&D, which is the game I'm most familiar with. Um, particularly what I liked was the, the reoccurring themes section. Um, what made you guys decide to, like, kind of put into the text, yes, these are some of the themes of the game? No, no volunteer. All right, I'll go for it. Um, Battlelords, when it originally started out, was pretty much corporate mercenary military sci-fi over the years it the the this as the setting grew uh the and the, the battle wars universe expanded it really grew into uh do whatever you want you want to be in a rock band by day and bounty hunters by night you go for it and by the time we got the sixth edition um they had really been pushing you know it's an anything universe and that's cool and you can still do that but we felt we needed to highlight you know what you know some of those themes of the battle lords universe are so when you're running around you don't necessarily have to be a soldier or a mercenary but you still get these reoccurring themes in the setting that are what make battle lords battle lords and that why that was sort of our attempt to uh, I don't want to say define the setting, but but uh, you know you know tell people which sandbox they're playing in when they're making these characters. Yeah, well, it kind of defines the identity of the game, right? It's like these are some of the ideas that like you're going to look for in stories in this universe. Yeah, and those set those themes have always been in Battle Orbs. It's just we took the time to enumerate them in the, in the new book. Very cool. So another section I actually really appreciated as like uh, someone who who may may run this game sometime is that you have kind of guides for the style of campaigns someone might run from mercenary to military to espionage to kind of space general space sharing campaigns like pirates or smugglers or whatever. Um, what was the what was the kind of thought in each of these sections? And could you speak of like under those kind of four areas, the kind of how those games might differ. Tony, oh, all right. Um, I'll, I'll take a, a couple. Of the um, again, that was a an an effort to give people playing the game some structure. The Battle Lords universe is expansive. You can do anything you want in it. The characters are skill based, so they're not really in classes. And sometimes that can be overwhelming, particularly for somebody who hasn't gamed a lot. So th those sections were our uh, effort to give people uh, some focus, some options for the more common uh, sort of campaigns people do with battle wars. Uh, and again, it's always been military sci-fi. So the first two on there were uh, you're a soldier in the Galactic Armed Forces. Or you're a corporate mercenary working for one of the mega corporations who runs the universe, essentially. Uh, you know, they own everything, including you. And uh, uh, the, the the soldier campaigns are going to be usually you're fighting the, either the, uh, the Arachnids or the Atlanteans, who are these um, giant nano swarms. 
Ooh. And the mercenary campaigns are uh, much more broad in terms of what she can do. Um, you know, one day you may be sabotaging a, uh, a competing megacorp. The next day you may be fighting with mercenaries for another megacorp. Um, you know, one of the class games we run is you, you, you may be cleaning pests off of a megacorp uh, resort station owned by your employer. And it turns out the pests are, of course, giant ugly monsters that try and eat you um <laughs> but uh yeah those those were the the first two and then i'll, I'll hand off to dave because the the uh, the other two areas were really ones that he thought uh, were areas that we wanted to expand on dave why don't you take over the uh, the pirates and the spies sure so so as we looked at at kind of the, the the nature of things and we wanted to give people options to think about things we really realized you know we have so many different options in here we don't have to shoe the, shoehorn this into always being, you know, like fifth element. You can go more Blade Runner. You could go more 007, but set in the far future. So it was like, well, we could totally run spy games. It's going to have to be a little different, but you can't run a spy game on uh, the highest tech worlds because they've got cameras. I mean, we already see today. There's, there's cameras are already all over the place. Imagine that times the technology that we'll have in, you know, three or 400 years. So you, you need to run spy campaigns a little more away from the, the main cities. Um, and it also gets back to that theme of it's always on the team. You're always out there kind of on your own. There may not be anybody from your company for parsecs. You may be a long way from anybody and you need to get your things done um, if you want to stay employed and, and make money. So we wanted to give people some ideas about how would you run a spy campaign. You can build up all the skills you need to hack computers, steal that weapon tech, bring it back to your company um, as an example. Um, and then the other thing we started to realize as we looked at spaceship rules was um, we had the opportunity on a ship going around doing things or Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot of different things. We have a group, a team on a ship, and then you could be playing above the line or below the line in terms of the law. Um, and so, you know, giving people some thoughts around how would you run a somewhat shady to flat out shady, depending on where you want to go with it. Or maybe it's, it's, maybe it's more like the seven samurai, right? You're the good guys or, um, and you're there to help smuggle in food and weapons to help farmers. It, it you can take it a lot of different directions. So we wanted to give some framing of how, how the team working together can impact the larger galaxy. In universe okay so something that i'm curious about so say you you've gotten some players together you decided what kind of campaign it is that you're going to run um the system from what i've seen the i think the closest reference point i have is eclipse phase like it's it's a d100 uh blackjack kind of you're trying to roll under and kind of similar not as close but similar crunchiness but the one thing about Eclipse Phase that uh, I know that people complain about is character generation. So I'm curious, how does character generation work in, in Battle Lords? And have you done anything to streamline that process with that new addition? Kurt, you want to take that one? Well, we tried to make uh, a little bit more clear with the, the distinction between the races, um, as well as uh, kind of changed up the flow of the book. So when you go into, you know, one of the most important things when you're you're picking is picking what species you're going to be because you know that that kind of defines the rest of how everybody else looks at you in the in the game um 
So it, it, the flow of the book is kind of set up. So, you know, you roll your stats, you go through, you pick it, you adjust it, and then you go into your tables. So uh, it is a lot of information to throw at you, to be quite honest. Um, but one of the things we tried to do was, uh, especially with the quick start rules and, the, and like you were talking about the preset characters in the back, is give examples. Um, kind of point you in the direction, go, look, these are the kind of things. And, you know, and I know there's a couple of notes in there that talk about, you know, things that your armor should always have, like a quick sealant unit and a uh, environmental containment. Um, and don't wear an open face helmet. You know, those those are just kind of jokingly referred to in there, but that information is in there. And there is a lot, lot going on when you're creating that uh, character. Um, but we've tried to give, you know, this, the sheets that can kind of help you out, direct you what you need to look at, as well as the quick start rules and the pre-gen characters to just kind of go, okay, this is why we think you should do this. And this is why this has it in. And this is David. I'll, I'll tack on. And that's also why we've spent some time with our first supplement, really focused on some one-shot adventures, exploring different character types and mission types to give people some breadth of mission type and some depth in each type of mission. So we're trying to give kind of some mix of some pre-gen characters and a setting so people can understand, ah, here, here's a mix of, of characters generated to fit this kind of a game versus that kind of a game. And you can see the choices in skills and weapons to help frame, oh, okay, I'm probably going to want more of these things. And then as the players all get a better understanding of how they want to run games, then they can start to tailor as they get experience towards what they really want to play. Okay, one more place where the audio cuts out. Uh, Discord, it turns out, is not the best for audio recording. Uh, Jesse just starts to talk about uh generating a character and then the audio picks up and he continues your character is going to look like is you have uh examples or tables of examples for all the vital statistics that's helpful and smart i think to put in um when you're building a character what's like what's something you should keep in mind as far as your vital statistics well, it it all depends on again what you're going to uh, what the game style you're going to be playing. Okay. So if if we're going to be you know going into some heavy combat, um, manual dexterity is probably one of the most important uh, statistics that you can have because that's how you shoot. Um, versus if you're going to be doing a lot of hand to hand combat, your agility is what you use. Matrix controllers are always going to want a high IQ. If you're doing a spy mission, you're going to want a high charisma. You know those kind of things. It all kind of depends on what your um, your game type is that you're playing, and then you can kind of tailor that to it from there. So one of the things that we've tried to do as well with the new edition, as Kurt can kind of hit hinting at, is that um, you know if you go back to the old school D and D, go back all the way to the first edition AD and D. There are several stats that you kind of were throwing. There's one stat that you pretty much could throw away for most characters and maybe a couple that you really didn't spend a lot of energy on. So one of the things we did was really try to shift things so that the stats all matter in the right context, depending on your character concept and the type of environment you're going to be playing in, be that mercenary or pirate or spy or something else, explorer certain stats are going to be more useful to you than others because they're going to support certain skills that you're going to want to have. So you kind of got to think about what your character concept is, look at those skills that you're going to want, 
and bring that back into your stats as you build them out. Yeah, cool. and I I think that's um, Dave and, and Kurt have both mentioned character concept in in Battle Lords because it is so open ended. It, you know, there's no classes, there's there's no uh, there's no levels. The characters are really skill based. It's, it's your skills, your stats, and your species. You can do anything. You know, you can design pretty much anything in terms of your character. So it really helps going in to have a firm character concept, what you want this character to be like. Um, you know, it's it's the trade-off to having a system that's open-ended like that. Uh, it, it takes it's probably not as easy because we're not handing you a do you want to be a fighter, do you want to be a rogue? But uh, you know, you you can be uh, you've got more options, but it you does take a little more on the player side to, to flesh out that concept so oh please go ahead sean uh something that you you mentioned as part of character creation is uh like what kinds of stats you might want to pay attention to when it comes to combat and i think that's a a good thing to move on to next is uh i guess the first part is how does combat work uh for those who are more familiar with like the D D style of combat and uh the second part is what have you done to simplify combat compared to previous editions because you mentioned earlier like having to roll for every single bullet when you rapid fire this is all tony (laughs) (laughs) i'll i'll take the first one and then dave can talk about what we did to simplify it Uh, in terms of combat compared to D &D, um there are some similarities in that you know you use your 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 manual dexterity for your ranged weapons and you use your agility for your uh your your hand to hand weapons but beyond that things are you're are going to diverge uh so you you really it's it's a percentile based system whether you're using empty hands or a hand to hand weapon or a ranged weapon um those are going to have an inherent accuracy that you add to your skill and you make your hit roll and the other part where it's going to differ from D&D is you don't have a pool of hit points. You have body points, but in Battle Lords, because it's that, that spawn of, of, uh, of military uh, science fiction, where you get hit is important. And so you have to determine hit location, either if you get hit or if you shoot somebody else. And then uh, if you flip through the book, you've probably run across uh, the critical hit table, which is both loved and hated <laughs> by players, <laughs> depending on which end they are uh, rolling on it or receiving. And, uh, and again, that was generated based on real world injuries in combat. Uh, and it uh, if you want to see how gritty battle wards can get, just look at the critical hit table. You know, it's like, oh, your spleen is ruptured, or oh, you've got a sucking chest wound because your lung's been punctured. Uh, it can get pretty gritty. And those critical hits have effects on your ability to uh, continue fighting or in some case continue living. Uh, so it's uh, uh, combat can be uh, gritty and lethal, and that's why the armor is a big focus, because without armor, your lifespan is going to be pretty short. Uh, but the uh, the other difference, I think, between, say, Dungeons and & Dragons and uh, Battle Lords is in Dungeons, you know, you've got a sword, it does, you know, one die eight damage, and you've got armor, and it gives you this armor class, which makes you this this much more difficult to hit or, or to damage. 
Uh, in Battle Lords, the armor doesn't usually make you any more difficult to hit unless it enhances your reflexes. Um, it's really there to take the hit, and it becomes more of a, uh, a war of attrition between their weapons fire and your armor. But the uh, probably the most unique thing about the game is the armor mechanics. And uh, I always tell people, you, there's a defense for everything, but you can't afford to put all of them on your armor, nor could you fit them if you could. So the opposition or your team should have a good mix of weapons to help find the weak point in that other guy's armor. Uh, so it uh, uh, it's it definitely different in many respects from your sort of Dungeons and Dragons uh, combat. Uh, Dave, do you want to comment on the streamlining? Sure. Um, so the game really... Um, so one of the streamlining things that Tony and I kicked around was around kind of trying to make sure things from hand to hand and, and weapons fire followed similar paths. And we tried to get everything back to using the same kinds of skill approaches that was mostly there anyway. Uh, one of the things we struggled with, though, is, as we've already talked about, is, is automatic weapons fire. In the 6th edition Empire Rules, uh, you might have something that, that they call the hose. The hose is a mini Gatling gun. It's rate of fire is 30 rounds a second. Uh, if you pulled that thing out in prior editions and you said, I'm going to I'm gonna just full auto, I'm just letting them have it. The rest of the players say, okay, I'm going to go get a Starbucks. Oh, it's just down the road. I'll be back in 20 minutes. Who wants what? We'll, we'll be back when, in time when you're done. And you roll each hit. You roll where it hits. You roll how much damage for that hit. And 20 minutes later, you can start to assess the damage and impact. Oh, there's another critical hit, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so we thought there, there has to be, we have to, we have to make that a little faster. We, we don't want to lose the essence of what's going on because automatic fire can be really lethal. Um, and it can be very effective as a tool from a you know, mercenary military sci-fi perspective. Um, so we started talking, just kicking things around and I was literally standing out in one of my fields. We've got horses and I'm just ripping out some, some weeds in the, for, uh, in the, in the field. And Tony just started and I started kicking things back and forth, and we wanted to find some way to deal with probability. You know, kind of it's less about realism at this point, it's more about how do we get reasonably close on probabilities and keep it fun for playing. And we ended up with something that's vaguely Yahtzee like. You end up with being able to group dice. So every weapon that's a weapon that has, you know, like a, it's a long arm, it's something you fire, right? Versus hand to hand weapons, has a rate of fire die we call the bump die. Um, and it's there to help reflect the amount of kick. So some firearms might have a little bit of kick and you pull out an Omega weapon and all of a sudden you've got a lot of kick. Uh, and so the way it works is fairly straightforward. You roll to see if you've got a hit and then you pick up a bunch of those dice for that type of weapon. So let's just say it's uh, that hose from a previous example. You pull up a bunch of D8s and you roll them. And then we've divided the body into six sections. And again, we've made consistent here. Low is good. One is the head. So you, that's usually a good place to shoot. Two is the chest, three, four arms, five and six are legs. Anything beyond that is a miss. So when you roll all those dice, you have 38-sided dice out on the table. You start to very quickly realize, because it's very easy to scan, these are the ones that are hitting, these are the ones that are not. And then in the skills, we've added a, an ability to group your shots tighter so people that get to a certain skill level can, I'm air quoting here, bump their rolls and nudge them so they start to aggregate. So it's a real quick dice flipping thing. Oop, I don't seem to have very many on the two, so I'm going to move those to a three. 
and I'll move these other ones from a five to a six because I can group up on one leg and one arm and see if I can chew through that armor very fast with all these shots. So that, that was a big change in how it works. And it's actually, it's got a nice, like I said, kind of almost a Yahtzee kind of a feel. And you start to kind of very quickly can assess it. And people who've never seen it can very quickly get an analog in their head around how it works. And they, they optimize very quickly for it, which is great. You still get to roll a lot of dice, which people like. But really, at that point, you I tell people it's like Vegas. You're just picking out the winners. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, you don't get the the kind of nightmare that can sometimes be in like I think in other games I've played where it's like like you were talking about that Gatling gun where it's like okay so nobody else is playing for a half hour it's like you get rid of that but still have the kind of satisfaction of having that really effective weapon in the game it's smart yeah. I mean it, it's one of my favorite things from uh, when I used to play Warhammer 40k was being able to roll like because I played the Tyranids which are all about like depending on how you play, you're just pumping out lots of shots. So being able to roll like 20 D6 and then pick out all the winners was that was a lot of fun. So hearing that that's how it works makes me even more interested to play. And then the the other part that uh, it's not just picking out the winners, it's also being able to influence the winners. Hey, that's a seven, but because I am particularly skilled, bump bump, it's now on the chest. And you just go all these shots, they're all on the all on the chest. All the winners, I'm putting them all on the chest because you have the ability with that high-level skill. So you can you can not only pick the winners, you can kind of, you know, under the table, move the dice around kind of thing. It's actually out all on the top of the table, but you know what I mean? It, you, you cannot just pick the winners. You can manipulate towards them, bias your dice towards what you want. Yeah. As the shooter becomes more skilled, the mechanic assumes that they're going to get tighter groups. Cool, which makes sense. <laughs> um, Sean, I think we're starting to come towards our end here, but... Uh, well, you, there's actually a few more things I wanted to cover really quick. Oh, please, please. I was going to ask if you had anything else to talk about, because I'm out of questions for now, for the moment. Um, so something that I'm I'm curious about, because it never really happens in D&D, and, and other systems that I've, I've played, um, it can be a little bit confusing, but how does, like, using a vehicle or a spacecraft, how does that work mechanically? Because I think in D&D, like, you know, if you're in like a chase on a horse or something, it's kind of just a lot of house rules suddenly have to be generated on the fly. So I'm just curious how uh, vehicles and using them in combat or in chases, how does that work in Battle Lords? Oh, that's a Dave question. <laughs> um, so uh, we, again, we're trying to keep things consistent and simple. And so what we decided to do was really come back to the standard that we talked about with the way skills work and just work from there, right? Um, as a game master, I don't want to spend a lot of time, unless the group wants to do something like a battle tech or a um, Dawn of Heroes or a um, other, you know, set piece with all the cards that lay out the different options for turns and all of that or car wars. There's a lot of different games that let you get into that mechanic if you want to do that. And you certainly could house rule it that way if you wanted. We wanted something simple and fast. So what we basically uh, said is we've already got skills. We already have the ability to assign difficulties to things. So the game master, this is where the game master has to basically on the fly think. You know, when somebody says, I want to, I'm driving a car. There's this arachnid on the right side of my vehicle and there's a dumpster coming up. Can I pull the vehicle over suddenly at the last second and scrape him off? You know what? You're a driver. You're, you've got all the skills you need. I'm going to call that a minus 10 because it's really not that hard to, to nudge that vehicle over even at the speed you're traveling. Make a check. Did you make it at your 
driving check with a minus 10 penalty, yes or no, done. Okay, you did it. Then let's just ad lib what the answer is going to be. And it's just baked in and you just kind of do that. That's how vehicles are. Um, from a spaceship perspective, it got a little more interesting, right? We're in space. Um, and that's where things get trickier. Um, and so we had to think about that one a lot. We kicked out a lot of ideas that, yeah, that's complicated. We can't do that. That one would be great, but it's complicated. We can't do that one either. So that one is a little more complicated than the, the basic vehicles one, um, but not that much more. And one of the things that was really the struggle was how do we avoid making this about the ships, right? So in the example I gave you before, it's clear. It's, it's about the people and what they're doing with the vehicle. But with spaceship combat, it can devolve into, well, my ship shoots this big gun, takes out your shields. I'm going to shoot your engines now versus my character is firing the gun. Right. So we we wanted to make sure we had it character oriented. So we've listed out various actions that can be taken that integrate with the standard combat sequence. So you, you present options then in a, in a combat situation where you might have had a bunch of arachnids beamed onto your ship and they're clawing their way through the bridge door while you're trying to fly the ship and while you're trying to shoot off the other ship. And so the pilot maybe have a choice of, Pilot, do you want to shoot at the arachnid who can see you and is about to shoot you with his gun? Or do you want to try to dodge the other ship who's also shooting at you and trying to hit you? What do you want to do? So it, it gives people the option to pick what actions they want to do that are relevant both at a local level, if you will, and at the ship level. How, do, how, do, how does what I'm doing affect my environment at a ship level or at a personal level? Okay. Yeah, we really wanted to keep the focus on the characters. It's not a ship combat simulator. It's about what the characters are doing in that ship. You know, if you're the gunner, you're the pilot, um, or you're repelling borders, or you're boarding the other ship, um, it's it's the focus is still on the characters. Yeah, because that was one of the things about, uh, for example, like Star Wars Edge of the Empire. It was kind of weird how, like, when you're out on the ground you've got all of these options, but as soon as you get into ship combat, it feels like your character just turns into a component in the ship, and you suddenly, it feels like you have a lot less options. But this style of combat, being able to choose, like that, I, I like that idea of, it's about what your character is trying to do and not what is the ship doing. And, and one thing to add to those is we have, we have taken automation, for the most part, out of the systems, um, for the specific reason, you don't want automatic weapons with a, a nanite swarm that can co-opt, you know, computer systems. So pretty much everything on a ship, vehicle, in your armor has to be operated by the character. Okay. Um, and I think the last thing that I was curious about is the the matrices and the, the way that hacking and stuff like that works because... Uh, from from my experience in games that in science fiction games that try to have a an internet or something similar that you can have characters that hack like my experience with Shadowrun is that either everybody is a hacker and you're playing your game in the the Shadowrun internet which I think is also called the Matrix but uh, or you play a game where nobody is because trying to do both at once turned into a uh, a nightmare. It was not fun to try and have characters that were doing stuff in the internet and characters that were trying to do stuff in the real world, at least in the, the editions that I played. So how does uh, how does that work in, in Battle Lords? Uh, in terms of hacking, um, we've got some 
great spy missions that we run at cons and that are going to be in our new book. Um, the hacker is a important component in the team and it's all about that team dynamic you know you've got your sniper you've got your quick talker you've got your disguise uh expert but somebody's got to open the door somebody's got to turn off the cameras or the security systems and uh, that that's those that's what those characters are doing um and it's it's not really like um, I, I guess uh, the, the cyberpunk, where you're only you know you're inside the machine and you're navigating around. It really comes down to um, that same mechanic, that skill check. What's your hacking check, or what's your hacking uh, skill, and what are your chances to defeat this particular security system? Even though we have the hypernet uh, in battle lords, which is sort of like an internet, uh, most of the time you're so far off the grid, um, you're just dealing with local systems. So that's really not ever a problem. Um, if you're if you're not there, you're probably not going to hack it. And again, as Kurt mentioned, a lot of that has to do with if, if one of the primary antagonists in the game can pretty much take control of any computer or machine, you, you have to be really careful about what you automate. And then... Um, uh, Kurt, do you want to take the Matrix question? I can. Um, as far as the Matrix, we haven't really uh, put into the system the cybernetics where people go into the computer or interact with the computer on a direct level basis. And that is because of the nanites. I mean, if they take over somebody that has access to it, they have access to everything. So the system is set up so that every every piece of equipment is almost isolated in and of itself. You know, you may have a group of cameras that are all connected, but that doesn't leave this, the building. And you may have doors that are all connected, but that doesn't leave the building just because they don't want to get uh, that stuff outside. Or people, you know, let's face it, every, every piece of computerized equipment that's out there is hackable. So why take the risk of connecting it to the outside world? Right. This is David. I'll, I'll jump in with another thing just for players that are and game masters that are new to the Battle Lords universe. Um, we do have something that could be uh, a point of confusion because we use the word for a very specific thing. When we talk about a species capable of generating matrices or using matrix powers, um, you can just kind of, by analog, think spells. They're, they're actually psychic powers. So when we talk about matrix, uh, matrix or matrices, that's generally the context we mean. A psychic power that's kind of comparable to a spell from a demon. Oh, okay. So what I've what I'm really enjoying, what I'm hearing from kind of all of these questions is that you've not done the mistake that some other games do where they kind of build an extra set of rules that is separate from the core set of rules for stuff like using a vehicle or flying or hacking. You've incorporated back all all back into the same skills that you use for everything else um and that's uh, a really nice piece of design thank you well, i will i will say and this is something you know i finally come to the system late that everything is supposed to be about the the uh pcs the player characters and so whether it's armor whether it's a car or, or motorcycle or ship they're all just extensions of that character. So it all uses the same mechanics with the threshold, structural integrity, and absorption. So it, it does kind of scale really, really well. Cool. Well, that's it for, for questions that, that I had. I think uh, if anybody wants to 
uh, has their own questions. I think you guys are reachable online, but the the book is there is a lot in there. I will say that, but it is all really well laid out, and uh, I found it like there's there's been some games where I've picked up the rule book and I had to spend several sessions reading through it to try and get it all clear in my head how the various systems worked and interacted with each other. Whereas the the Battle Lords rulebook is uh, reading through it, like you can jump around and I never felt like I was confused. I never felt like I had to like make notes on where to find things. And uh, I think that is uh, something that I've seen from like, especially games that have done like new additions on, on Kickstarter or brand new games that have done uh, done stuff on Kickstarter is that the layout of how the book works is an important feature. And I think you guys nailed that. So congratulations on that part as well. Thank you. And also just the book itself is gorgeous. The art you guys have commissioned for it is just all so great. Yeah, one of our goals when we when we decided to do this was to make sure that the book because uh, sixth edition is is the art is still gorgeous, but it's it's black and white and it's soft cover, and we wanted to make sure the new edition new edition met or exceeded industry standards uh, in terms of production, and that included art and materials. And uh, yeah, I wanted to to be as much an art book, coffee table book as as role playing game. And uh, that went into the materials, too. I always joke with everybody that if you pick up second edition Pathfinder, it's 100 pages longer than our book. But our book is a pound and a half heavier. (laughs) 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 And that's that's materials. I mean, we, you know, it's uh, we wanted to make sure it was a gorgeous, uh, gorgeous book. So uh, traditionally at the end of an episode, we will ask people to kind of like what advice they would give themselves before starting uh, a project. You guys are in a unique position where you've, most of you have worked on Battle Lords before, so you've been able to kind of already revisit some of the things you've done. Uh, but nevertheless, what's uh, what's something maybe you'd like to tell us about Battle Lords that we haven't asked you about? Hmm. Dave, you want to, Kurt, I'll let you guys chime in first. Kurt, why don't you go first? I'm, I think we've got my mine is um, never pigeonhole yourself on, on what you think you can come up with, because we had a a, 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 a game we did at a con recently called uh, Routine Inspection, and I got to put together the team that was going in for it, and so I came up with some really off the wall things, and probably the most interesting from a player standpoint when we were uh, running these games at cons was the Mazian Doctor. It's basically amazing as an amorphous being. It's it's amoeba-like and it's a shapeshifter and change its uh, structure, make itself hard or soft. And he was the doctor. So when he went up, he didn't really need any medical equipment. He just would envelop the people and, and tell them what was wrong with them. <laughs> the, the amount of uh, fun that that player or those players that played that uh, doctor had at the con was hysterical and you know it it actually moved the story along the <laughs> story along as well but it got everybody just dying laughing it was probably one of the most successful ones that i've run at the cons and as far as being hilarious as well so you know, just think outside the box, have fun with the characters, do what you want with it, but come up with new and creative ideas because there's a lot of them in Battle Lords. Dave, you want me to go or you go? Um, you can go ahead and go. 
All right. Um, I, I guess, and, and this admittedly won't appeal to everybody, but uh, if, if the, the three of us here from 23rd century are all, um, oh, for lack of a better term, a little OCD, and um, the the thing, I, one of the ways I describe Battle Wars is, is it's, if you want it to, like Dave said, it's scalable. If you want it to, you can get it as close as you want to being a tactical role-playing game, basically a, a, a miniature war game without the board and the minis. Um, and by the other end, if you just grab the kickstart rules, it can be as simple and, and quick as you want it to. Um, so my first piece of advice is uh, for anybody who's going to pick up the game who hasn't played it before, start with the quickstart rules. But my other set of advice is the, the book, and, and you've commented how, how big it is, the book is designed to reward players who dig into there. Um, there are some uh, awesome combos uh, that together in terms of weapons, armor, armor options, and it rewards the players who put the effort in, you know, oh, this works great with this, or this works great with this. And, uh, you know, we wrote the damn thing, and last week I got a player who said, well, what if I do this? And I was like, that's amazing. We hadn't thought of that. That's great. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> and uh, um, But it, it rewards that kind of, um, uh, you know, attention to detail if people want to put in, uh, you know, that kind of yeah, somebody described it as combo card playing from Magic. If you're a player who loves, you know, I've got this wicked combo, that aspect of Battle Lords will appeal to you. You can do the same thing. And, um, uh, you know, it, it it's great for that. And the system is robust enough that you're not going to break it doing that. Some people worry, well, if I have this player who min-maxes, is it going to, you know, make everybody else's time less fun? Nah, it, the, the system is, uh, you know, it's it's built for that. You're not going to break it. That is very cool and not actually something I hear a lot. A lot of games are pretty easy to break if you go about doing it. So that's that's very impressive. It didn't hurt that we have somebody who likes to do that a lot, more than one. <laughs> so, what would you to do with it? Mm. Yeah, we, we probably have one of the uh, world's greatest min-maxers on our staff. And uh, if, if he can't break it, we know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Tony, you hit the main one that I was going to say um, around the, the combos. That was kind of a key point um, that's that's a lot of fun for players who really want to dig in. Um, we've basically, get, in, in a sense, and this is where things get tough, we've given people a bunch of building bricks to do a lot of different things. And they, they come together in interesting combinations to let you really take it in very different directions. Um, so so uh, the thing from a game and a play perspective is to really... You know, start simple, start with the quick start rules and really just slowly work your way into all of that stuff. Start with some really simple to understand concepts and flexibility from a gameplay perspective is going to be really useful. So rather than kind of if you go back to the original D&D, here's your set module and these are the things that you're going to do. And that's just the way you've got to run. Um flexibility is really important because things will, people will come up with that combo that nobody thought of and be like, huh, okay, well, I know how to handle that from a rules perspective. I don't know how to deal with it from a, where does this game go perspective? So being able to improv really is rewarded in this game. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Uh, where can people find you all and battle Lords on the internet? We're on just about every social media platform. Um, our website is www.battlewars.com. Um, you can also get us on Facebook, facebook.com 
backslash Battlelords. Uh, we have two Twitter accounts, uh, at Battlelords and at Battlelords RPG. Uh, the at Battlelords account is our uh, fictional character of uh, Granny uh, Prunella Frump, who is a retired Marine colonel and a spokeswoman for one of the mega corporations. So depending on which Twitter account you're on, you may get a snarky reply from Granny, or you may get the standard <laughs> corporate reply. <laughs> uh, we're also on Instagram, and uh, uh, the address for that is really long, so you may just want to search for Battlelords and uh, Discord. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. This has been a blast. Thanks for having us. We appreciate your enjoy- uh, you uh, inviting us. We enjoyed. I did. Excellent. Thank you very much. Guys. Thanks again. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at haleyboros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at acompatech.com. Hey, my name is Eric. I'm Piers. And this is Podcast vs. Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to. Turn on our show. I was told that once the earth was shaped like a dish. This was a time before mortals or the law. That time has long since passed, and no one tells those stories anymore. All they care to tell these days, over and over again, are the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.